Sorry, here we go. <laughs> You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract, have you practiced today? Okay. All right, Vocal Fam, we are excited. Uh, we are here to talk about the Singing Teacher's Guide to Transgender Voices, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been looking forward to this. So glad we got it scheduled. Thank you both um, for your flexibility in scheduling and making this happen. I, I, I we really appreciate it. So, Brian, Liz, welcome to Vocal Fry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, as we usually do with these, I'd like to hear a little bit about each of you, sort of your journeys, just in singing in general, but mm-hmm. also specifically anything that was part of your journey that led to the book. Okay, so and anything that you know you want to tag on that maybe is specific, but but also just a little bit about yourself, so the vocal fam, you know, knows knows who you are. So that whoever wants to jump in first, it doesn't matter to us. You want me to go first? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you go first, Liz. Um. So my general singing life, I grew up in a musical family um, and uh, learned about singing from my dad's side of the family. All of my aunts, uncles, and cousins are all musicians as well. And um, so that was kind of an obvious, I think, next step for me. When I started in undergrad, um, I was also really focused on science. I thought I was going to be a geneticist when I was a freshman in college. and got to choir rehearsal the first day. I was like, all right, well, I think I need to just do this. Um, So that's kind of how that decision got made when I was 18, um, because we make big decisions when we're 18. Um, Um, That said, my passion for science and understanding how um, things work uh, remains, you know, on fire, I suppose. Uh, In undergrad, I did my thesis on synesthesia. I got into uh, voice science after undergrad and in graduate school, focused on voice pedagogy, anat and phys, um, pathology. I did the vocology thing um, up in Utah, which was super fun. And um, also kind of parallel track, uh, have been uh, a queer activist since the teenage years. When I was in college, um, I went to school in a small town in Idaho, and we didn't have um, a student organization for our LGBT student body at the time. So I made one, um, and that's kind of one of my other general philosophies of life. Is like, there seems to be a need here. I will do it, whatever it is. Um, so all of these kind of paths coming together. Um, in 2014, I was teaching at a like a mom and pop here in Chicago and there was a student who had come who was a trans guy and he was taking violin lessons and when he started on hormones his joints got really stiff and so he couldn't play very well but wanted to continue his musical journey and um, the the guy at the counter who happens to be my husband now was like I think you should try voice lessons with this nerdy person up in here (laughs) so um, so all these different parts and pieces this like you know really excited 
piece of my identity that had to do with singing, my passion for science, and then also kind of bringing in all these different parts and pieces of activism kind of all came together um, with Das, who wrote the foreword to our book. Um, and Das happens to be an author and a professor and uh, a gender expert. And so Das like took the time to like literally hold my hand through understanding what gender is as we worked together. And in kind of learning from him, it became clear that there were a lot of folks who were totally underserved, that there wasn't enough information, there wasn't enough support in the singing world and the voice world for people like Doss. And that's kind of how everything started. And from there, the voice lab was kind of born. And, and the voice lab's main focus is on supporting gender diverse folks with voice. So everything kind of came together. I, th I think this was... Um, gosh, just such a wonderful intersection of all of my identity pieces in a way that I get to kind of serve and, and bring everything back to people that I really care about with, through the things that I really love doing. Excellent. So that's my story. And you're still in Chicago? I am still in Chicago, yes. And The Voice Lab is still in Chicago cool. and online. Cool, cool. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Absolutely. Okay, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. You know, I, I'm actually I learned quite a bit about you, Liz, from that. I mean, we've talked a million times. I didn't know about your musical family background and everything. And actually, my family also has a musical background. Um, my mother is a uh, singer and a uh, and now actually a dancer later in life. She's uh, she has an organization called American Dance Wheels. Um, and uh, it is an organization that provides organized um, ballroom dance training to individuals in wheelchairs. Um, but she started as a singer. She trained at the um, Academy of Vocal Arts. Mm. So I grew up listening to her beautiful coloratura soprano voice uh, <laughs> uh, as a child. Um, and uh, singing was just something that I always felt that I had to do. It just wasn't a choice for <laughs> I, I just had to sing and I always sang. Um, and my first experience with singing really was um, imitating uh, Michael Jackson as much as I possibly could in my bedroom, which is probably the experience of a lot of 80s kids. Um, <laughs> and then uh, but when I got to high school, I, um, I, I was in a rock band, had long hair to my, to my shoulders, uh, flannels, you know, the whole thing. We did two albums um, and, uh, and, and I also did choir as well. So I I was in the chorus at school that gave me a good um, uh, foundational training of, of music theory um, and eventually decided that I would go to uh, to school for vocal performance. Um, in terms of what brought me to this work, uh, my previous institution, I'm now at Elon University. Um, I'm the uh, uh, music theater associate director there. Um, but my previous institution, University of the Arts, we we had auditions one year and there was a large handful of trans applicants this particular year. This was about 2011, maybe 2012. Um, and I was the voice coordinator for the program and the uh, the music th the head of the music theater program came to me and said, "Should these students matriculate? Should should they come to University of the Arts? Um, how does the voice training change for these students?" And I thought about it, and I didn't know the answer to that question, and. It was very frustrating as a college professor. You know, my job is to service students who come through my door. 
And so I asked him if I could get back to him. I did a little bit of research and found that there just wasn't a tremendous amount of material out there to satisfy my need to, to know how to service this population of student. So I applied for a research grant through the university, which I received. Uh, I began a, a six month study uh, with trans singers, just kind of dipping my toe in the water, kind of figuring out, you know, what what is different? What are the needs of this student population? Um, and then my work kind of through a mutual friend kind of navigated me to Liz. Um, we uh, ended up talking on the phone. We found that we were working towards some of the same goals and we decided to begin collaborating, uh, which ultimately came to about four years of research and conversations and work and all kinds of, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, and then the publication of the Singing Teacher's Guide to Transgender Voices. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, I mean, just just from what what you both just told me uh, particularly brian what you just shared so this actually was a multiple year journey though once you sort of had met to get to the book like i mean this was this was not like a we did we knocked this out in three months this was this was a this was a process this was a a big process um and really i, I would say just speaking from my own experience a very big process for me because I can honestly say before this uh, 2012 or so, maybe 2011, 2012, I had never considered gender in the way that I think about it now and the way that I understand it now. Sure. Um, so this was a major process for me. And I actually think that anybody listening to this who might feel intimidated that they, you know, they're not knowledgeable and they don't know, uh, that's okay. Start now. Challenge yourself. Start now. It's never too late to learn new things. Indeed. Indeed. Would you say the same, Liz? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely would agree. Um, and if, I mean, I don't even know if I have any advice necessarily for anyone who's, who's coming into this other than um, thanks for doing it. Come, come on in, like the doors open. <laughs> um, Liz, you had a, did you have another book also out? Is I do have another book. Prior it's right to this next or to me after here. This or, or what was the order? I happen to be making the online course that's going to go with it. <laughs> ah, what was the order there? Did, did which book came first? Forgive me, I don't I don't know the dates. I mean, they were within weeks of each other. Um, <laughs> I, I think because that's also how I roll. Um, so <laughs> I think one word trick might have come out a few weeks before the singing teacher's guide. Um, one word trick is uh, intended for. Um, users it's a user's guide so it's for folks who are looking for um, tools to use with their own speaking voice specifically whereas the singing teacher's guide is really geared toward teachers of singing who want to serve right. trans and non-binary students right okay cool 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 um so this is not the first time you know we've we've talked about this on the podcast we had lorraine sims on last spring i'm sure you guys both know lorraine mm -hmm. um just you know she's she's lovely um uh, it was, you know, great to have her on. And um, when we did, I was shared my, you know, first experience um, uh, when I was in, I, I was doing a residency in Malaysia in 2015 and uh, with a musical theater program and two of the singers um, at, at completely different um, 
uh, life stages actually uh, were were either uh, but point being they were both transcenders and um, it, it was a it was a, it was a new thing um, for me I had not I had not had any students up to that point and so um, I didn't have any materials to you know that I had read that I had I hadn't even met Lorraine yet I actually met Lorraine about nine months later um, and so this was you know a, a new world to me and I and I remember thinking to myself that summer somebody's gonna need to write a book about this and it will be very valuable to the singing <laughs> teaching community and so here we are uh, <laughs> and we felt that way too <laughs> well right yes Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I think by the end of our first conversation, I had convinced Brian that we were going to write a book. Oh, there was no question. I mean, when, when Liz was like, we are writing a book. And I'm like, what? We, we just met like like 10 minutes. We are writing a book. Awesome. Okay. Hey, if Liz says it, sometimes we do just, it. You just know. Sometimes you just know. I love it. So... <laughs> Let's say that that someone was new to this world and they bought your book. Um, I, I think you have some things very clearly laid out. And I, I love the organization. It's, it's one of the things um, that I always look at with a book, um, partially because so many of the books that I end up reading are just sort of basically straight voice pedagogy books. That's just what they are. Yeah. Because um, to be completely honest, I'm not a I'm not a fiction reader. Forgive me, vocal fam. I know everybody is, um, but um, but so I love the organization. It's one of the things that I look for right away, and uh, sort of what you both were hitting on already was you know this this idea of. Ref, I don't know how if I want to say this, redefining or reframing gender. And you sort of deal with that right away in chapter one. Um, one of the things that I found very valuable um, in, in, in chapter one was your really nice list of terms. Can, can you talk about terminology in this world a little bit um, and, and, and some important you know, things about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I can start, Liz. Um, so, so, yeah, we need to... Communication is essential in the voice studio. We have to know how to communicate in order to be effective. Right. Um, I do think it's in... And by the way, Nick, I do want to say thank you for your nice comments about the book and the organization and everything. I, I appreciate That's very kind. Thank you. Um, when it comes to the terminology, uh, there is one thing, and Liz and I have talked about this before. We knew the day that it was published that the terminology was going to be out of date. Yeah. Hmm. Because that's how terminology and language, and that's how it changes. Right. So what I would encourage is to use the list that's in the book as a starting point, as a good guide, but keep your eyes and ears open and keep up the practice to, um, to, to, to try to stay on top of the way that language is going to evolve and going to change in this area. Well, I tell people the same thing about anything with voice pedagogy. True. Be, because, you know, information keeps changing. Sorry, go ahead, Liz. Mm. 
What I was going to add to that is that um, as we think about language, especially when we're talking about identities and pieces of identity and the way we move in the world that we didn't previously have words to describe, um, it may feel like the language is shifting, but to, but to me, it kind of feels like we're just inching closer and closer and closer to being able to actually put words to a lived experience that had not previously been validated um, adequately with language. So if um, I think that's just an important frame of mind to kind of consider as you as you do the research on the language. Um, and then the second point, I think, is just to to um, keep in mind who we're hearing the language from. Um, and I, one of the things that was immediately out of date and um, a mistake that we made that we didn't know we made until after the book was published was the genderbred person. Um, the genderbred person was not created by trans people. Um, in the future, <laughs> that is, uh, instead we'll probably use the gender unicorn, which was created by a trans student group. So as we are maneuvering language, um, I think those are the two really big things to consider is that we're, we're just trying to describe something that didn't have language for it before, and that we have to be really mindful of who we're hearing the language from, and that we're always listening for um, for the people for whom it is a lived experience as they describe their lived experience. Absolutely. And just for our listeners um, who, again, may, may or may not be you know, familiar with what we're talking about, I would love for either or both or, or whatever of you, for our listeners, to can you sort of give them, a, and again, we recognize that this is all, everything changes and evolves, and Lang, you're totally right. Could you give us a quick layman's summary of the difference between gender and sex. I think that would be helpful. Liz, do you, do you want to take this? Or do you want me to take this? I, I mean, you wrote this part of the book, so you should take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, sex is something that is assigned at birth. Um, it is uh, based on your uh, genetic chromosomes, um, and is not based on behavioral practice. Gender is self-determined based on an individual's um, uh, behavioral practice, um, self-identity, um, and has nothing to do with their uh, birth assignment by uh, doctors or the hospital or whoever gave them their birth assignment at birth. And so, is because uh, uh, I hear these terms. So, are are we currently using the terms AMAB and AFAB? Is that is that a term that's okay to use right now? Is that not okay? Mm -hmm. Where where are we with that? So, I I think of those terms um, in reference to hormonal environments and histories uh -huh. because that's really what we're describing. Um, I don't think that someone. Like, I've never heard a trans person refer to themselves as AMAB or AFAB. Okay. Um, uh, a, a term that I think, again, will go in the future um, is uh, coercively assigned to um, to kind of bring in intersex identities as well um, as binary trans and cis identities. Um, so when we talk about assigned female and assigned male, like, like Brian was saying, it has to do with um, genetic environments, primary and secondary sex characteristics, um, and all of those things that a, that a doctor is going to use to give somebody a letter 
on their birth certificate, <laughs> whether they have a say in it or not. And they don't, right? Because they're infants. <laughs> um, so that I think is one of the one of the crucial points of sex is that it is assigned by someone else to a, a person who has no self-concept yet. Um, gender is a series of behaviors, mannerisms, expectations, um, ways that we express gender on the outside that are constructed by society. And society has rules about um, how genders uh, should show up. And gender can also be assigned. We assign gender usually when we assign sex. Um, as a new parent, I have a one-year-old and I see this all the time. Um, and I rarely, if ever, mostly never use pronouns for my kid when I post on social media and talk about Robin um, because I'm not interested in anybody assigning gender to my kid who has no concept of gender. Um, so when we talk about the difference between those two things, one of them I think is medical, one of them is, is social for sure. In context of teaching, I think using AFAB and AMAB to describe hormonal histories and environments can be helpful in terms of knowing what kind of things to expect to hear uh, in a singer or in a vocal instrument. Sure, because based on hormonal history, it will there will be differences in the voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, your 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 second chapter, I love. Um, I love. Well, for one thing, I love this student information sheet, and I think that's great. But the you know, it's really. A, can you talk about how you might? Because the, the chapter addresses this a little bit, but how you might um, deal with this differently in a classroom setting versus a lesson setting. Can, can you talk about that? Because I know some of our you know audience they teach courses as well as I mean I myself teach courses as well as lessons. How would you how would you would you deal with it any differently? I'm I'm. I'm not quite sure how to answer. If you say, are you, if you, when you say deal with, you mean specifically having a trans student in a classroom as opposed to in a in a private voice lesson? Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, I, I guess no, not necessarily. I, I just mean, you know, um, in a private voice lesson, there's obviously more one-on-one -on -one communication right off the bat. Whereas in a classroom setting, you might not have that. So how can we, you know, best be an advocate ally? Is, is there is there a difference in a classroom versus a private lesson where you're just one on one? My first reaction is that it, it's not that there's so much a difference if there's a trans student in your class. It's that we need to shift the way that we address our classes, period. Okay, so that's what um, I'm trying to get. And so I think the first and easiest thing to do at the very top of the class in order to make sure that you provide a safe environment for all students is a very, very simple step, which is introduce yourself with your pronouns. My name is Brian Kremer. My pronouns are he, him. Or you don't even have to say my pronouns are. You can just say Brian Kremer, he, him. So that is a very simple way to signal to the classroom, whether there's trans students or not, right. that this is a gender inclusive space. I would add to that, um, offering the students multiple opportunities throughout the year to declare names and pronouns, I think can be really helpful. The whole, I mean, we're, we're 
we are deconstructing cis normativity and that's the crux of this whole conversation like why do you have pronouns in your email address why do you have pronouns in your intake form we're we're removing cis normativity and allowing space for gender um expression to to be whatever it is today so um often when i have students come in or, or have even do like trainings with teachers it's like what are your pronouns today like what is your gender identity today um, because it, you know, there's room for flexibility. And I think offering not just like on the first day of class, but multiple, yeah. multiple times throughout the year. And to say every time you do it, totally fine if you want to change your pronouns later. Like that's, here's how easy it is to do that. You say, hi, my pronouns are they, them. Great. Cool. Moving on. Um, so it doesn't have to look totally different, but I think it's really about normalizing this process of of introducing yourself with pronouns and it being okay to have different pronouns in different parts of the year if you want to change them at some point, even the names if you want to change your name at some point later in the year. Also, I would say to teachers, challenge tradition. Um, let Give students space to be able to express themselves in the classroom. Uh, you know, if I, I had a student years ago, this was before I started working in this way and uh, before 2012, um, I had a student come in and perform a song. Uh, it was a, um, a, a, uh, a male student and he performed the song in heels. Mm. And... I made comment about how that wouldn't be the way that song would be done. Well, that was a huge mistake on my part, because who am I to say whether that's the way that song should be done? Um, their performance traditions and, and the way that it, things change, things progress. We see all kinds of changes, um, you know, in Broadway revivals and uh, when when operas are redone. I mean, right. We see change all the time allow students to express themselves try to get out of this rigid thought of this is the way that things are supposed to be because we really uh shouldn't be controlling that um we should be allowing the expression of our students and the exploration that our students are going through so getting into that it's like thinking of like expectations of you know maybe traditional norms or whatever you have a nice section in here on voice type I would love to talk for you to talk a little bit about voice type in 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 in, in this in this realm because you have a nice section here on it in the book. But, but if you could talk about that a little bit, how this relates to voice type because that's something obviously the voice teachers think about because it's obviously yeah. normally yeah. a very common part of our thinking, you know. And I mean, you know, my God, there's never been a a twenty three year old opera singer who's obsessed more about their fach than anything else in life or or even a musical theater singer obsessing about their character type. I mean, you know, um, am I an alphaba? I don't know. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> right. Could you talk about it's identity type? wrapped in voice part, right? Like that's um, so. Okay, so let's talk about that. A little gosh, bit. wouldn't it be cool if it weren't that way? Wouldn't it be cool if if you could you could have the same fluidity that courts kind of going with saying, oh, well, today I'm this and today. Yeah. Yeah, today I'm exploring this alignment of my muscles and coordination. Today I'm exploring this alignment of muscles and resonances and all of that good stuff. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Um, I think one of the major points in that section about voice type is that um, there is a correlation between hormonal environments and histories and voice type labels that may not necessarily be all that beneficial for the singer. Can I read your quote? Can I huh? read your quote? 
The systems that are in place in the industry today cannot support gender diverse singers, and it may be time for this to change. A person's gender identity does not alter the quality and range of their singing voice unless that person chooses to do so through the process of their transition. Perhaps it's time to reimagine a voice classification system that does not delineate genders and to do away with gender-dependent voice categories. I thought that was a very nice little paragraph that you all wrote, so I'm just, I just wanted to give you credit for that. Thank you. Yeah, it, 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 has, it does confuse me why we tie gender into the identification of voices. Um, if, if we have two voices that are identical uh, in tone color, in tessitura, in range, in you know, all the ways that, that, that we identify the quality of voices, but those two singers have different self-identified genders, mm. we, at this point, don't really have a system for classifying those voices as the same. So if you, if you have, uh, you know, like we, we think of like soprano and mezzo-soprano as being female, at female singers. And we think of tenors and basses as being male singers, but not all tenors are male and not all sopranos are female. So what do we do with those voices? Because the system itself does not provide room for gender diverse singers because the system ties gender into vocal quality. Mm. Mm. And that really has to be reimagined. But it's probably also an issue that we need to deal with from a, not just a voice teaching standpoint or an education standpoint. I mean, because let's admit it, it you know, that there's a huge, you know, casting side of all this too from the, mm-hmm. it, from the profession. I'm not talking about the education side. I'm talking about the business side, um, you know, and not that we never see anything like that. I mean, obviously, you know, Patina Miller doing the MC and, and you know, whatever, but, but I think that there are still, un, you know, unfortunately or, or whatever, there uh, sometimes things move slow, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Things always move slow, but it, it takes people to stay dedicated to make change in anything. And you have to be willing to to you know put the work in and and call out the injustices and when you see something wrong say say that it's wrong and you know have the energy to care enough about people who need you to care yeah yeah that's right that's right that's i great. think i think as educators um part of our job is to um offer what we know and then ask how we can support so if someone is interested in going into an audition for something, I think the first question is, what is your ideal outcome from this audition? The ideal outcome is that you dress and you go and you sing and then you did it. Amazing. That's great. If your ideal outcome is to be cast in a particular role, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. And then we ask about coping mechanisms and what we can do to support. So if you go to this audition and you get misgendered, what coping mechanisms do you already have? How can I support you with that? If you go to this audition and somebody comments on the way you dress or the choice of piece that you've brought or something, what do you already know to do to care for yourself in that moment? How can I support you? Um, I think that that's a huge piece of our responsibility. I think the other piece of our responsibility is to understand um, what we are willing to do in order to support our students. Um, If there is risk of job security 
over something like juries. Um, if we have a student who, you know, decides to undergo some kind of transition during the school year and wants to do something different with their voice, and it impacts their ability to execute those new techniques at a high level, um, if that puts us at risk professionally, then I think that that's a risk that we have to acknowledge that we're taking in order to give that person a voice and give them an opportunity and a support system to discover something new. So it's a huge responsibility. And if the if the industry doesn't change from us, like from where does it change? If the industry doesn't change by the way we model how things are supposed to go, where else is it going to come from? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the that's the crazy thing, right? We often think of like the industry as like the the industry is made up of people. We make the change. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that all depends. Never mind. Yeah, right. No, your point is totally, totally right on. Uh, moving on to some more specific things. So you you have an, a nice chapter, um, obviously, because this is an important topic um, for anyone in transition, because you have a nice uh, chapter on hormone therapy and voice. Um, and, and one of the things I want to applaud you for, um, many of our plural authors, their books are very well cited. Your book is very well cited. So congratulations on that. Karen Brunson's book, I was so impressed with. Like Karen's book is like, there are citations after citations. And part of that is that she collaborated with some really incredible collaborators um but but your book is very well cited was there a you know particularly i guess for the hormone therapy chapter because we're talking about medicine did you do any consult talks with doctors with medical professionals was there any of that or was it really just based on things you read i'm, I'm just curious um both for sure. Um, I've uh, a pretty close relationship with um, an ENT SLP combo here in Chicago, um, and we cross refer all the time. So we talked together a lot. There's another doctor here in Chicago who works a lot with trans adolescents, um, and I learned quite a bit from him about hormones and bodies and kind of what happens with them. Um, other than that, I mean, at the time, there wasn't, I mean, thankfully now there's so much more research about specifically testosterone, HRT, and voice and um, what that process looks like that wasn't available at the time um, for us to draw from. But yeah, I, you know, we, I think, gosh, Great. it's always such a, a striving to kind of get information from as many resources as possible, yeah. especially people. Um, and I think most especially people for whom it is a lived experience. So even with all the research, the most important element, I think of all of that was like all of the students who were so generous in talking with me about their experiences and what it was like for them and allowing me to kind of um, take some of that information and organize it in a way that we could speak to other voice teachers about it. Yeah, Liz, I completely agree. I mean, I think that the most valuable thing for me with regards to this was um, the generosity of students being willing to talk about their experience, um, you know, and being able to work with voices who trusted me enough to be able to help them kind of navigate whatever vocal transition they were they're going through at that time so um i i i completely agree liz with with, with that you know um there's there's also uh, you know I, I think that if a singing teacher you know thinks about dealing with a transgender student uh, hormone therapy might come to mind 
But there's in your respiration chapter, you have sections on waist trainers, chest builders, chest binders. Excuse me, totally wrong word. Um, you know, and there are there are things in there that I don't think a lot of voice teachers who haven't worked with a singer would even think of. Um, you know, and and it's in, you know, and I love that you tied it right into the singing, right into respiration. Um, are there other things? I mean, I just named a couple right there, but. What do you think are things from a technique standpoint are things that the voice teaching community that, that you have in the book that they might not think of right away, you know, that, that they really need to be aware of? Trauma. Say, say that one more time. I'm sorry. I, I, I missed it. Trauma. Oh, trauma. 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 Sorry, um, I just didn't hear the word. My fault. Informed care, I think, is a really important piece of that. Kelly talks about this in the chapter about um, psychological perspectives that trans people endure um, a lot of trauma and that can show up as we know in the body in the mind and the voice and understanding um, how to navigate someone through or i guess walk with someone through a stress response um, is huge is huge and giving agency in uh in that experience i think is is huge so not even just from like the tech like uh, it shows up in technique right of course. and and we get blocked um sometimes in our technique when we're navigating active stress responses in a lesson and i think that's maybe an element that is less convenient to talk about because it's not as concrete or well it, it could be a more concrete i guess maybe yeah um I think it's really important to not make assumptions about our students um, based on the way that they choose to present their gender uh, or the way that you perceive their gender. Uh, it may not be the way that you think they th their voice should be or the way that they want their voice to be. Um, I think that it's very important to uh, to talk to your students. Um, about their desired outcomes for their voice training. Um, and also, a lot of times as teachers, we think that like we're driving the car, right? Like we're in charge. In this instance in particular, I think it's very important to let the student drive the car in a lot of this. Let them breach the topic with you if they want to. They may they may not want to talk about their gender identity with you and you're that is their that's their privilege and their right to not talk about it with you um they may not want you to touch them or um you know uh, uh so you so it's very important and this uh goes with what liz is saying about trauma and beyond it's very important to allow students to uh have to, to have control in the voice lessons uh, regarding their own experience with vocal training. I think you hit on something really important right there uh, in, the, in the very first part of what you were saying. I mean, obviously, c communication is, is critical, um, it, but that's you know, true in any voice lesson. Um, but uh, you, the importance of knowing what does your student want to sound like? But you know, it's like a thing that I think all of us in the voice teaching community need to consider for all of our students. And I think this is 
probably worst in classical singing, where we have like these pre-established norms of this is what a lyric coloratura sounds like. And okay, I mean, if they're going to sing that repertoire, there's certain notes that they have to sing because they're just, if you can't sing the notes, then the, the notes aren't the notes. But um, but I, I think a dialogue between our students of like, what do you want to sound like? Because I tell my PED students this all the time. You could be asking your student to make a good sound, trying to get them to make the sound that you want them to make, but if they don't want to make that sound, you're both just gonna beat your head against a wall. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's- <laughs> I had asked me, um, if, if someone had phrased to me, what does vocal euphoria feel like? What would gender euphoria in your voice feel like? I think my grad school experience would have been a lot different. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think, you know, so many of us who grew up in a world where it was rather restrictive um, about what you had to. Well, and I remember, you know, it's it's the trauma thing. I mean, I, I remember. And again, I don't. I'm not trying to equate my own stuff to anybody else's. I think we all walk our own path. I think we all have our own journey and we all do our own things. But I have my own stuff with, with uh, you know, when I, I struggled, the vocal fam knows this, with obesity for many, many years and was told I was just too fat to sing Ferrando or Rodolfo. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, so, I mean, I, I, I remember... The general manager, general director of the Santa Fe Opera, looking at me the first day I arrived for my second apprentice summer, going, "You've gained weight. You should lose mm. that." You mm. know. So I mean, and 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 I, you know, we all as because there were like these established norms of you know for so much of the artistic profession, so much of the singing world, and so let's know. also consider just how vulnerable singing is right. at all. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there. We what we do when we open our mouths and we push air through our vocal folds and begin to resonate in some kind of pleasing sound is unbelievably scary and vulnerable for everyone, regardless. And you pile the trauma of whatever your lived experience is on top of that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I hear from teachers all the time about going just back to this idea of like, like technical support. Um, I think the the theme of like, I don't want to hurt anyone comes through so often. Um, and this really strong desire to do no harm. And as we navigate that conversation, I think we have to really kind of take a step back and figure out who is defining harm. Um, and if uh, making assumptions about what someone's technique should be is doing harm to them in a way that we didn't anticipate or in a way that we didn't know we could anticipate. That's a huge, a huge piece of it. So technicality and like training doesn't have to be um, one path. It doesn't have to look like one thing. Healthy vocalization doesn't, as we know, look always like we think it ought to, or we thought it did (laughs) 10 years ago. Um, So the harm piece, the do no harm piece has to be collaborative. And we have to mutually understand between student and teacher what exactly harm is and how we can bring the most euphoria and do the least harm on so many, so many levels. Absolutely, Liz. And the other thing to consider here, and this is for all the all the teachers who are listening, you are going to do harm. You are going to do harm. Okay. When it happens, 
learn from it. And if someone calls you out, thank them profusely. You, we are, yeah, sorry. You have a nice, actually, section in here where you talk about the idea that you're going to make mistakes. You know, and, and so I'd like to thank you for that because um, I'll just share a, a recent story. I won't use anyone's name or anything, but um, I have a, a private student who I teach um, professionally. He's, he's a pro singer. And, um, excuse me, and I just did it again. Dang it. Ah, <laughs> I knew this individual as a younger singer. I taught mm -hmm. them previously, identified at that point in their life, he, him, now identifies they, them. And mm -hmm. in our first, uh, one of our first lessons, I don't think it was our first lesson back, but you know, now that we're all working remotely and everything, you know, I've, I've been able to teach people all over the world. Um, but anyway, we were working and I, I, I totally generically meant this gender neutral anyway, but I, I just said, come on, man. And I actually apologized at the very beginning of the next, it was right near the end of the lesson, we signed off, whatever. And um, they were not offended. Um, they knew that I kind of just meant it generically or whatever, but I apologized because I didn't want, I didn't want to harm. And, and, and um, so I, I do thank you for the section where you do say you will make mistakes. And just as a human, I like to own when I make mistakes and apologize for them. And Nick, that's what matters. You learned from that experience. Uh, nobody died, you know. You learned from the experience and you won't do it again. Right. Hopefully. And that's, that's what's important. I'm trying. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Uh, so... Any final thoughts about the book before we transition? Because I know we have limited time and, 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 and anything you really want someone to know about this book, other than you can get it on the Plural Publishing website or at <laughs> Amazon because all of Plural's books are available on Amazon. Um, are there any final little, little definite nuggets you'd like to share with anybody about why they need to buy this book? Liz, do you want to start or? Hmm. There is an invitation for you to be a fellow traveler. You can choose to take it. Fantastic. Do so with your eyes open and your feet in front of you. My sincerest, deepest hope is that the book will just be a lantern for you as you walk the path. That it's your path to walk and it's your decision to make. And if you choose to take that invitation, it will be well received. Okay, that was incredibly beautiful yeah. and poetic. There's nothing I can say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I will say is that um, I, 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 I just ask everybody to do this work. It is, it is um, so important and it really is part of uh, the future of our industry. And so you can choose to do it and come along or you can be left behind. And um, I hope that you choose to do it and come along. That's right. That's I think it. today is a perfect example. Yes. <laughs> Left the station. That's right. Um, yeah, that's a good word. Um, okay, so as we transition just a little bit um, in, our, in our last segment here, 
Uh, Vocal Fry is all about um, nerd pop culture, um, which does which I know seems oxymoronic. And often people call me out when they don't understand nerd culture. They're like, "But nerds don't have pop culture." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. Excuse me." Wow. <laughs> um, uh, do you have? And but we, we, here's what we've been asking people in 2020 since the pandemic began. What I've been asking people is: is what outside of singing has been bringing your life joy? If it happens to be a movie or a TV show that you'd love to share with us that you've binged during quarantine. That's great. But what has been bringing you joy in 2020? Because I'm trying to spread joy as much as I can in these times. So what has been bringing you joy in 2020? You should go so I can think. <laughs> okay. I actually know the answer to this and it's I, it's not, I, I don't know whether it fits into this, but when the when quarantine started i found myself like just sitting around a lot and feeling very lazy and eating a lot and i needed to move okay i needed to move my body so um i did what i literally never thought i would do which was i bought a peloton okay <laughs> i literally never thought i would have indoor ex at home exercise equipment because I have always laughed at people. They get these fancy, expensive things and they do nothing but collect dust, okay? But I got a Peloton and let me tell you something, since it arrived, and I swear hand to the Bible, I have not missed a single day. Not a single day. I am working out. I love it. It is fun. It is challenging. It's It feels good. So um, that's, that is what's bringing me great joy while we all sit at home uh, during this pandemic. That's awesome. Peloton just makes me think of the commercial that we all laughed a few months back at. Yeah, and, and I, I actually feel like one of those commercials. Like I'm doing it <laughs> and the sweat's pouring off of me and everything. So I, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it works. I'm telling you, it's a good product. Like That's it. awesome. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, the thing that brings me the most joy right now is my kid. Um, he's amazing. He just turned 13 months. Um, and I was trying to think about nerd pop culture. There was a lot of JoJo's Bizarre Adventures in my pregnancy life. Are you ah. familiar with JoJo? Um, <laughs> it, it's a journey. Uh, <laughs> the running uh, through all of JoJo is that like all the characters and all of their abilities are named after after like rock stars and albums and um, all kinds of crazy things. So it's super cool. It was really great. Um, and my husband is also a musician. And so in our whole family already, we have all these musical jokes. Um, and Robin is starting to understand the concept of jokes. Um, <laughs> so I, what is bringing me the most joy is when Sean and I have a musical joke together and then Robin laughs, whether he <laughs> <laughs> it or not but, that's awesome um but it's it's really great and watching this kid like gosh, um i guess thinking about like music nerdery like this this totally unorganized brain is beginning to organize stimuli and that is so freaking cool yeah. um and the like i always go back when i teach about pitch the whole concept like pitch is a made-up thing right like pitch yeah. is just an organizational system for an infinite number of frequencies Indeed. and so Robin is learning how to organize all of these like infinite means of stimulus into his brain. And it's so cool. Like he's learning about colors right now. And it just sort of hit me like, oh my God, colors and pitches are the same thing. <laughs> I just think awesome. um, 
it's so magical when something or someone like totally rocks your whole understanding of reality and all of the systems and biases that you have brought to your reality are not at all existent for this totally fresh mind. And it's just so joyful and wonderful to, to feel this new connection to the world and all of humanity and like all of the different ways that we experience life is so very cool. That's awesome. It is. It, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I have two children and um, the 11, 11 and 11 and eight and a half, a little over eight and a half. And um, they are just it's incredible seeing the, the personalities that children develop and how early they really develop those personalities, watching a personality come out of them. Uh, and, you know, and it's more than just like comparing it to you or your wife or, you know, it's like, oh, I, I do. Oh, God, I do that. I do that all the time. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> my daughter is me. Ah. Okay. But uh, no, it's a, it's 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 a lot of joy watching that happen and watching them develop. I'm I'm totally convinced that my son is smarter than I am. Um, easily, <laughs> uh, he uses words that I don't know what they mean. Um, and uh, golly, uh, I. Uh, anyway, so that's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Brian, Liz, thank you so much. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so glad that honestly, we were all sort of ended up being upbeat today. Um, and uh, we didn't try to record this 48 hours ago. Um, so uh, this was <laughs> this was really great. Um, thank you so much. Go buy the book, folks. Yes. Um, just so I don't say it wrong, The Singing Teacher's Guide to Transgender Voices, Liz Jackson Hearns, Brian Kramer, available at pluralpublishing.com, also on Amazon. Sarah, what'd you have for breakfast? Oh my goodness. Um, oh, you're gonna laugh at me today. It was a Pop-Tart. It was an unicied Pop-Tart, if that makes it any better. That makes I don't it think worse. it makes it better. I, I have not heard of anybody having a Pop-Tart since like 1987. I know. I, you have Pop-Tarts too, Liz? I live oh. with Sean. <laughs> oh my God. It, I, I don't think I've had a Pop-Tart since I was a kid. Like maybe, you know, like a 10 year old kid. I know. I, I did it. I, I had, I had to work a lot extra this week. And so when I was at the grocery store, I don't know if it was just an anticipation of that or what. And I just saw it and I was like, Pop-Tarts. Yes, this is, <laughs> this is what will get me through this week. And so that is how that happened. Whoa. Not one of my prouder moments, but yeah, I, I fully. Hey, it sounds good. Yum. Honestly, it, it was good. Like if I'm being real, <laughs> I was very happy the entire time I ate it. That's fantastic. That's what I was going for. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, it, it sort of didn't matter what side of the political arena you were on this week. No one over the age of 21 was really having a great week. Um, yeah. So pop tarts, get it now. Get through, so. Uh, that's awesome, Sarah. That's awesome. All right, uh, vocal fam, Brian, Liz, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and we, we are out. Thanks for coming on. Oh. We appreciate it.